The presidential motorcade has just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. We are finally leaving Syria, and we should. Maybe. Maybe just a little. But we should probably get our troops out of there. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You know, we haven't really talked about the whole Mattis outrage. You know, that happened over the Christmas uh, break. Coming into the new year. Everybody's like, oh my gosh. Donald Trump wants to pull out of Syria. Oh my gosh, General Mattis, he's going to leave. What in the world? The sky is falling. Oh my gosh, cats and dogs living together. Here's the thing. Um, Mattis, even though he's a great general on the ground, very, uh, I mean, he's like MacArthur meets uh, Patton. You know, he gets out there and he says it like it is. You know, I'm coming for you, blah, blah, blah. He's got the greatest quotes in the world. Still kind of a progressive, okay? Keep that in the back of your mind. Remember, this is the same guy that called Israel an apartheid state. Okay? He worked under Obama. And not to say he's not a good guy. He's still not the conservative that you would imagine that he would be. He's just a progressive. But he's a general. He's a good one. But he is a general who is progressive. And you want to keep in mind, I'm not taking the Rand Paul stance or actually the Ron Paul stance, which always scared me because I'm not an interventionist, but you can't ignore what's going on overseas just as you can't ignore a connected and interconnected economy. A collapse here collapses over there. And that doesn't mean that you want to globalize the economy, but you have to be mindful of the ripple effects. You have to be mindful of the fact that, you know, the collapse of a nation in the Middle East will allow anti-American and anti-Western and anti-Islamic way of life to cause fundamentalists to want to attack. You know, they, they're on a mission to globalize the world to their Islamic stance. That, that means, that, you know, it doesn't matter how nice we are. It doesn't matter whether or not we have troops over there or not. It doesn't matter if we came over and and conducted the Sykes-Pico Agreement, which a lot of, you know, the Sykes-Pico Agreement is what a lot of the Islamists refer to. Basically, what we did was, well, it wasn't us, but Britain and France decided to get up with Arabia during the Ottoman Empire after World War I and say, hey, look, we're going to give you your own area. You know, it's going to be called Arabia and, you know, like Lawrence of Arabia. We're going to go ahead and divide up the rest of these nations and we're going to give them over to these people. And we didn't. We didn't do it again. It was Britain and France. But they did this because they wanted to have a state of flux. You know, they wanted these leaders who are against the factions and Shia militias and Sunni tribes and all these different organizations within these areas. They wanted to carve up these borders and keep everybody confused so that the trade routes for Britain and France would go uninterrupted. And in the process, Britain and France screwed Arabia. So the Sykes-Picot Agreement is one of the genesis for Islam to say that they're attacking the West. But it's even further than that. They just don't like our way of life. It goes against what they believe. But if you're wondering why I'm looking at it and going, hey, I'm fine with leaving Syria. Because like I said, with the Ron Paul effect, you can't ignore the fact that these people are coming for us, whether we like it or not. What we do have to look at, though, is where should we be and where shouldn't we be? And if you've ever wondered about this, take a moment and think to yourself, why is it that the foreign policy under Bill Clinton was the same foreign policy under George W. Bush, was the same foreign policy under Barack Obama, and seems to have started to have been the same foreign policy under President Trump. Now, if you followed me, you know I've been really interested in the Syrian conflict, the Syrian civil war, which it's more or less an intervention by Western uh, factions and certain neighboring countries to destabilize 
and remove Assad from power because basically it came down to two differing natural gas pipeline proposals. One from the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, uh, France, Britain, with a little help, uh, and Germany, with a little help from America. And then you had Russia and Iran, to which Turkey decided, hey, I might benefit from this. Let me jump in and help them out. And then on the back end of that, you have Iran and Turkey both wanting their own caliphate. Iran wanting a Shia caliphate, Turkey wanting a Sunni one. You have all that going on. And what you have to realize is there was a plan to remove Assad going back to the 80s and 90s. And then after we removed Saddam Hussein, that plan was pushed into motion back in 2005. Obama wasn't in office then. There was no red line. There was no ISIS. So one of the things you have to keep in mind is the removal of Assad was a long-term plan that was set into motion right after the removal of Hussein. Now, the removal of Gaddafi, which in my mind was completely stupid, uh, stupid, is completely stupid, and that was because of the fact that we had already gotten Gaddafi to a point. Think about this. Reagan took on Gaddafi in the 80s and then dropped tent, uh, bombs down the tents of his sons. You know, he took out one of his sons, and we basically blew Libya into submission. And after 9-11, who was on our side fighting radical Islam in their country? It was Gaddafi. So why do we get rid of him? Well, pretty soon in the program, I'm going to read this uh, tweet storm by a former general uh, or a former military uh, um, vet who laid out in great detail some interesting facts about Benghazi that goes into what we've always talked about, which is Operation Zero Footprint. Basically, we were running weapons to the Syrian rebels through Libya. Some of them came in from the ports. Turkey pulled in a ship. You know, we're running all these weapons into Syria. And we were doing it to a uh, topple Assad. And that's what Benghazi was about. The fact that the, the rebels found that we had a CIA base and we also had our ambassadors there and decided to attack it on September 11th as a anniversary attack. And we, you know, Obama administration allowed it to just go down because of the fact that it would come out that we were running weapons through there. No one really comes out and says it, but when we get into this, you will be amazed by the detail and it will make more sense to you. But going back to what we were talking about, in Syria, us leaving is not a big deal. And I made this point many a time. When I was talking about it, when it first came out, I said, you know who's going to step into the void? It's going to be Israel. It's going to be Saudi Arabia. Well, they wouldn't get together, would they? Well, they both hate Iran. And Iran has basically set up shop inside Syria. And if you remember, right after the Syrian gas attack, Assad's gas attack, which we've proven was actually most likely al-Islam and uh, al-Nusra gassing the neighborhood that it wanted to take over and then turn it around through the media and saying, oh, it was Assad and try to blame it on him. That happened back in uh, March, end of March, early April of 2018. Well, in that time, we learned that Iran has set up bases. Um, I think it's T8. I can't remember one of the major bases in Syria, but they set up all these different bases and they were encroaching upon Israel. Well, Israel decided, nah, we're done with this and went in and started pinpricking all of those bases. And they basically destroyed all of the gains that Iran made in Syria. Now, on the other side of the token, Saudi Arabia has been fighting Iran and Yemen. And so there's a mutual enemy that is within Syria. And from my understanding, Assad's not really happy the fact that, that Iran has been able to move so far into Syria as they have. And keep in mind, Iran's Hezbollah is everywhere in the Middle East. They're in Pakistan. They're in Lebanon. They're in Afghanistan. And they're a part of the illegal drug trade that is allowing what is the ingredients for opioids to come into the United States through South America coming in through Brazil, up through the jungles of Panama, through the caravans coming up from the Central American uh, states, 
and then the drug cartels, MS-13 and what have you, carrying them across the border through El Paso and other areas. So we have to be mindful of the fact that us leaving Syria is not that big of a deal. Never mind the fact that we bombed Somalia. No news about that. And the fact that Turkey is building a base in Somalia. Pretty amazing, huh? But two of the things that we've been hearing about is, oh my gosh, we are going to leave the Kurds high and dry. First off, there's two factions of the Kurds. There's the Iraqi Kurds and there's the Syrian Kurds. The Iraqi Kurds, very pro-American. The Peshmerga, we should have been backing these guys from day one. I've said this over and over again. Then there's the Syrian Kurds. They are a communist wing. They have been conducting terrorist attacks in Turkey, and they are of communist persuasion because of their inclusion in the Soviet Union back in the day. When the Soviet Union fell, they decided they wanted to create their own, their own state, and they've been fighting for that ever since. But their ideology is Soviet-styled communism. And even though that shouldn't be reason for us to say, hey, you helped us out fighting ISIS over there in Syria, we're going to bail on you because you are a communist. We shouldn't be propping them up either. So here's some developments that I wanted to get into. Now, there was a bit of a setback as far as the terror control of certain portions of Syria. Uh, this is from Syria Direct. This is an interesting issue because when we talked about Syria the last time, we talked about Idlib. Idlib is a big crux to this entire war because that is the last standhold that the terrorists have in Syria right now. Basically, the majority of the country has been relinquished back to Assad and out of the terrorist strongholds. But Idlib over in the northwest is actually still under the control of terrorist factions, al-Nusra, al-Islam, what have you. And from Syria Direct, hardline Islamist coalition Hayat Tamir Al-Sham, this is another Al-Qaeda-styled organization. They seized a key town in Aleppo from rebel fighters on January 6th, the latest victory in its week-long campaign against rival opposition factions across northwestern Syria. A Tarab, which is a town in western Aleppo province, province, located close to a strategic crossroad and major international highway, was previously controlled by rebels from Hakarat Noor Din Al-Zinki, a prominent opposition faction in northwestern Syria that has repeatedly clashed with HTS. That's what we're going to call Al-Sham at this point. HTS is an alliance of Islamist rebel groups spearheaded by former Al-Qaeda affiliates and arguably the most powerful rebel bloc in northwestern Syria. Local officials and community leaders agreed to surrender a tarab to HTS in uh, late in the evening on January 5th. According to January 5th's night agreement, HTS will be tasked with managing security in Atarab while Syrian Salvation Government, an HTS-affiliated governing body of civil affairs in the areas directly and indirectly controlled by hardline groups, will manage civilian, judicial, and municipal uh, duties. The agreement also stipulated the withdrawal of all non-HTS-aligned rebel forces from Atarab. Videos shared online by activists following the day appeared to show HTS fighters entering the central Idlib town early on Sunday, parading down a busy street with dozens of pickup trucks. The situation is terrible, one local government official in Atarab told Syria Direct on Sunday morning. The people's morale here has bottomed out. And then again, Idlib is where the terrorists were pushed uh, after the March-April gas attack, which was blamed on Assad. They were whittled down by Assad's forces and told to either release their weapons and be bussed over to Idlib or surrender, and then possibly even given the chance to join the Free Syrian Army. Now, Atarab, combined with its series of HTS victories in January, means Al-Zinki's territory has now shrunk to a faction of its former size and its standing in northwest Syria, which has vastly diminished. Now, Al-Zinki broke away from hardline Islamist coalitions back in July of 2017, with numerous violent clashes straining relations between the two rebel groups. And early last year, Al-Zinki allied itself with the National Liberation Front, a conglomeration of loosely affiliated rebel groups backed by Turkey that has competed with HTS for the majority rule of Idlib province for months. So that's what's going on in the ground over there. 
And when we talk about the Kurds, one of the things we have to realize is that we're not leaving the Kurds high, uh, the Kurds high and dry, the Syrian Kurds. Even though they are communists, we're going to not leave them high and dry. We are actually bussing in tons and tons of weapons. The Kurdistan Workers' Party, PKK, Syria's affiliate, affiliate, the PYD, received 150 truckloads of weapons and munitions dispatched by the U.S. following Washington's announcement of a planned withdrawal from troops of Syria. The weapons were sent through the Iraqi border to critical positions on the border of Turkey near the cities of Derik and Kwashimi, arriving a mere 24 hours following President Trump's announcement of the planned withdrawal of some 5,000 forces from Syria. The 500 truckloads of weapons and munitions were dispatched to the PKK PYD in Syria. So we're not leaving Syria high to, or we're not leaving the Syrian Kurds high and dry. And here's another article that states what we plan to do with Syria and the Kurds. The U.S. led coalition has sent a convoy consisting of around 200 trucks of loads of military equipment, weapons, ammunition to the Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF and the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, the SORH, or SOHR. The convoy, which entered northeastern Syria at the late hours of December 29th, transported several tons of supplies to several bases of the U.S.-led coalition in the cities of Raqqa and Manjib. This is the second envoy to enter the eastern Euphrates after the U.S. decision to withdraw from the region. So again, we are not leaving the Syrian Kurds, high and dry, but it would behoove us to at least scale back our troop presence on the ground, allow the Gulf Cooperation Council, which is a council of Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, a couple other, Jordan, a couple other countries, to step in and fill, fill the ground void, allow us to provide the air support when needed. It's a much more nuanced situation than people want to lead on. So this whole reaction to, oh, my gosh, we're leaving Syria is a bit blown up on both sides of the aisle. Our sponsor for this portion of the program is Tar River Arms. Let's celebrate your Second Amendment rights. Go purchase some new firearms through America's first virtual gun store, Tar River Arms. They make it much easier to purchase a firearm online. And how do they do this? They do this by providing 3D interactive experiences to view and inspect any of the weapons you wish to purchase. No need to go into a brick or mortar store and deal with pushy salespeople. Tarn River Arms is veteran-owned, veteran-run. They have great guns, great prices, great services, and they have weekly specials that eliminate shipping and broker fees. Your order, your pickup, no additional fees. Tar River Arms, go to tarriverarms.com for details. So we've been talking about Syria, and luckily Tar River Arms wasn't involved in any of the gun running that Mark Turry and some of these uh, individuals were running into Syria from Libya, which we're going to get into some amazing discoveries on a thread that I saw over the last week on Benghazi, which confirms what we've always thought. It was a gun running campaign. This was Iran-Contra on crack, except for it was Obama and the State Department running it. It wasn't... There's no Oliver North churning out shreds of uh, documents in the shredder. There was, you know, I mean, none of that was happening. So we're going to get into that here in just a minute. But here's the thing. Syria is almost completely back in Assad's control. And really, when we were fighting ISIS, who were we really supporting? We were supporting indirectly Assad. Because really the main reason why we fought ISIS in the first place was not because of Syria, but more because of Iraq, in my mind. Because we did so much groundwork removing Saddam Hussein, even though we gave Baghdad over to Iran. Basically, it's a, it's a Shia Iran uh, government at this point. But, you know, when you look at the Kurds in, in Iraq, you know, we weren't helping them directly, but we were indirectly helping them. The Yazidis and what have you. All of them were affected by ISIS overrunning Iraq. So we had to fight back because look at all the lives that we lost in response to our efforts in Iraq. It would be ridiculous to allow some caliphate or some pseudo-caliphate or wannabe caliphate to come through and take it all. But that Iraqi insurgency 
that that Sunni caliphate that was building in Iraq was also in Syria. And that's where things got a little bizarre. But from the uh, Washington Post, ironically, the Khashoggi mag, Trump's Syria decision was essentially correct. Here's how he can make the most of it. Many observers have asserted that without the withdrawal, um, it gives victory in Syria to Russia, Iran, and the Syrian government, but that's absurd. Bashar al-Assad's regime already controls about two-thirds of Syria, including all of the major cities. The portion of Syria that the U.S. forces control alongside their Syrian Democratic Forces, the SDF, allies, uh, allies is more either desert or drought-prone plains. In fact, their oil fields there produce high sulfur, low-value crude, and production has long been diminishing. So, you know, where we talk about the fact that the, um, that the fight for removal of Assad, it wasn't specifically for oil fields, it was more for uh, the natural gas pipeline proposals. It's two different things. The oil that's available there in Syria isn't as, as good of a grade as you would think of. Oil revenue made up about 5% of the Syrian gross domestic product before, 2000, before the 2011 uprising, according to the International Monetary Fund. In summary, holding northeastern Syria would not have enabled Washington to leverage any important concessions from Damascus, Tehran, or Moscow. Stability, not a deeply embattled Syrian Kurdish autonomous zone, is the vital long-term U.S. interest in northern Syria. Turkey can accept with conditions the return of the Syrian government forces into the area as Russia and Iran want. Ankara, Turkey, dislikes the Assad government, but it dislikes more the prospect of an autonomous Kurdish region along its border. The United States erstwhile friends, the Syrian Kurds have always allowed Damascus to keep its security offices open in the northern Syria portion of the area. The Kurds never closed that channel of communication. If anything, the Syrian Kurds prefer the deployment of the Syrian government forces along the Turkish border to deter Ankara. So that's one of the things you want to put in perspective is the fact that the Syrians, they've allowed, or the Kurds, the Syrian Kurds have allowed Syria to intervene on their behalf many a time. But again, we also have to think about the fact, so we're not leaving the Syrian Kurds high and dry. We're shipping them tons of weapons, as we talked about already. We're going to provide some air support. Now, they are different from the Iraqi Kurds. They are of a communist ilk, but that's okay. They did help us fight ISIS. And Assad has gained back most of the control outside of Idlib, which is the area you must focus on when you talk about Syria, when you research Syria, look at Idlib right up near the Turkish border, right on the northwest part of, uh, of Syria. That's where the terrorist strongholds still hold. And as we talked about in the earlier, earlier story, that they're starting to gain a little bit of ground. They're starting to come back a little bit. Now, the GCC, the Gulf Cooperative Coalition, they will fill the void. Saudi Arabia and the UAE have sent military forces to areas controlled by the Kurdish YPG group in the northeast part of Syria, according to Turkey. Forces will be stationed with U.S.-led coalition troops and will support its task with huge military enforcements as well as heavy and light weapons. Quoting the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, the newspaper reported that a convoy of troops belonging to an Arab Gulf state recently arrived in the contact area between the Kurdish PKK, YPG, and ISIS, or, da or Daesh, in the um, Deir el-Zor countryside. This comes at a time when Ankara, Turkey, is preparing to launch an expanded military operation with the Free Syrian Army against the Kurdish people in northern Syria. Erdogan from Turkey was an antagonist in the Khashoggi matter, and Erdogan orchestrated the blame towards the Saudi crown prince, but that motivated the Middle East to, you know, the Saudi Arabias to protect the Kurds against military action by Turkey. So because of the, fa the fact that we've intervened, and we didn't make a big deal out of the whole Khashoggi thing. MBS, you know, the new Saudi prince, what we talked about before, he kind of owes us a favor. What leverage does President Trump have towards Turkey in order to facilitate hostile action? What would be the economic leverage of the current sanctions against Iran and the option of controlling and punishing any economic engagement therein? President Trump, if he withdraws from Syria, he leverages his relationship with the Saudi prince 
to step up to replace him. And that, along with Iran, uh, Israel's intervention, is what you're going to see back in a second. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. Welcome back. Now, Roscoe Davis, he is a law enforcement officer, and as we've been talking about, he gave some new insight into the Benghazi situation, and Benghazi actually falls into Syria because the weapons that were being run through Benghazi through what was called Operation Zero Footprint made its way into Syria. And so let's get through this real quick because there's a lot of information. We don't have a lot of time. On, J- on July 25th, 2012, Taliban fighters in Kunar province, Afghanistan, they successfully targeted a U.S. Army helicopter with a new generation of Stinger missile. The terrorists didn't properly arm the missile, so it didn't explode, only brought the chopper down. July 26, 2012, a team arrived to pick through the wreckage, found unexploded pieces of the missile casing that could only belong to the new generation of Stinger missile. And lodged in the, in the side of the missile, they found one fragment that contained an entire serial number. That number belonged to something that had been signed out by the CIA. Part of the same lot the CIA turned over to the Qataris back in 2011. Weapons Hillary Clinton's State Department intended for anti-Qaddafi forces in Libya through a contact of John McCain named Mark Turry. Turry threatened to spill the beans when CIA started coming after him wanting answers. They framed him on bogus weapons charges and tried to ruin him. And then people were asking, who is Mark Turry? I'm Catherine Herridge on Capitol Hill. It's been nearly three years since Ambassador Chris Stevens, Foreign Service Officer Sean Smith, and former Navy SEALs Ty Woods and Glenn Doherty were murdered in Benghazi, Libya. And even today, congressional investigators doubt they have all of the emails from Mrs. Clinton's server when she was Secretary of State. In this Fox Files investigation, new details are emerging about what President Obama's team and members of Congress knew about weapons pouring into the region during the chaotic Arab Spring in 2011. Well, this would come under uh, Secretary Clinton's watch. American arms dealer Mark Turi is at the center of a federal investigation involving Libya, Syria, and Turkey. Turi is president of the Turi Defense Group, a company that for decades has been licensed and regulated by the State Department to sell and move tons of weapons around the world. He spoke exclusively to Fox News. If a certain country is brokering various types of equipment, we try to get involved. Primarily weapons and ammunition, uh, transportation, logistics, government liaison. Turi says he is haunted by what he thinks happened when there was a failure to oversee who got the weapons pouring into Syria, Libya and elsewhere in the Middle East during the Arab Spring. Officially, those who receive or use weapons following U.S. policy are referred to as end users. In 2011, Turi pursued Libya as a business opportunity as dictator Muammar Gaddafi's regime was falling apart. Mark Turi is from Phoenix, Arizona, a neighbor of John McCain. And McCain, who has been on the Senate Arms Committee for years, helped Turi secure billions in arms of contracts with the DOD. Then Clinton and McCain came up with a plan to arm al-Qaeda to get them to overthrow Gaddafi. Things went out of hand, and in Obama's last few days in office, they dropped all charges on Turi, and he walked. If you had a properly allocated supply chain, where you had everything under control, you would have had our personnel receiving that equipment on the ground in Libya and then taking it back to a warehouse under our control and then giving it to vetted sources. If they would have followed that procedure, maybe Ambassador Stevens and Sean Smith and Ty Woods or Glenn Doherty would be alive today. Turi shared emails from 2011. The traffic indicates that high-level Democratic, Republican intelligence and military contacts, both inside and outside of government, encouraged him to explore options for arming the Libyan opposition. Yes, I kept getting information from my associates that are liaising with members of Congress and saying, um, there's, there's still interest, keep going. We asked Fox News senior judicial analyst Judge Andrew Napolitano to review some of the email traffic between Turi and members of Congress. Well, unless Mr. Turi concocted these emails, which would be nearly impossible, he has presented sound, documentary, irrefutable evidence to show that this was a covert operation, a grand conspiracy, if you will. One thinks and one wonders 
when one sees the constellation of political superstars who signed off. Now, it's nothing new for us to arm anti-American forces. It's been done many times. Just ask Oliver North, Iran-Contra. But it's usually a CIA effort, but they opposed the idea from the very beginning because of the high risk involving arming insurgents with powerful weapons that endanger civilian aircraft. But Hillary Rodham Clinton had a big payday coming and she could care less. And she never flew commercial anyway, so it didn't bother her. Clinton still wanted to proceed because she wanted to overthrow Gaddafi on the cheap. And you get back to the emails that members of Congress absolutely knew about it. Turi's initial application to sell weapons directly to the Libyan opposition, known as the TNC, was denied. It made perfect and very clear sense because the TNC was not a recognized entity in the world, which means they could never have signed an end user statement. So the only person or organization or entity I could deal with was the U.S. government. This sworn affidavit released in May 2015 and obtained by Fox News indicates a covert weapons operation was authorized. Turi's partner and advisor was this man, David Manners. During his 18-year career at the CIA, he served as the top spy in Jordan and in the former Czechoslovakia. Manners stated in his expert opinion, the United States did participate directly or indirectly in the supply of weapons to the Libyan Transitional National Council. That's where I came up with this zero footprint Arab Arab uh, uh, supply chain, whereby our foreign ally supplies another Arab country. Turi says it was a workaround because at the time the U.S. had not officially recognized the rebels under the TNC. Those containers in, Kada- uh, in Qatar that were di- uh, diverted on the docks of Turi's shipment delivered about 50 to 60 of those same Stinger missiles to the Taliban in early 2012, an additional 200 SA-24 Igla S. Uh, Sams. Hillary put Stevens, Christopher Stevens, in a position of having to clean up the scandalous enterprise when it became clear that the insurgents were actually Al Qaeda. The same group that attacked the consulate and ended up killing Christopher Stevens, Sean Smith, CI co- uh, contractors Tyrone Woods, and Glenn Doherty. My idea was to set up a, a warehouse where the only person that could take that equipment out or the only entity that could take that equipment out of Qatar or UAE was the U.S. government. As part of the workaround, the U.S. would supply conventional weapons to another U.S. ally, Qatar. There's 60 millimeter mortar with 80 millimeter mortar, all conventional type weapons. If you want to limit the exposure to the U.S. government, what you simply do is outsource it to your allies. The partners, the Qataris and the Emiratis, did exactly what they were contracted to do. During Hillary Clinton's term as Secretary of State, U.S. arms dealers were awarded a record number of export licenses to sell sophisticated weapons, military parts, and technology internationally. Selena Realu is a professor of national security at the Peary Center at the National Defense University. That's actually been a huge um, policy position of the Obama administration was to actually uh, overall to improve U.S. exports overseas. In 2011, more than 86,000 licenses with a value of $44.3 billion were granted, a surge of more than $10 billion from the previous year. If you would like to engage in arms sales and you're a U.S. manufacturer, you actually actually seek license and apply for an export license with the State Department. Hillary Clinton tried to use a cover story on why the attack fell flat on its face. Of course, Susan Rice hit all the Sunday shows with the spontaneous protest about the video. What was it? The uh, the love of Islam or some crazy story where they had some surfer guy going, hey, hey, dude, I'm Muhammad. I saw the video. It was horrible. But I'm sure that that wasn't the reason for the uprising. OK, but it blew up in their faces. And most people ignored the Benghazi hearings, thinking it was all about lying or whether or not the attack was originated from a video but that was all the mainstream media wanted to talk about and it was not about why stevens was even in benghazi in the first place andrew shapiro served as the um, assistant secretary for the bureau of political military affairs under secretary clinton that role is actually responsible for overseeing this entire um, export control uh, process at the state department March 2011 was a busy time for Hillary Clinton and her team, which included Andrew Shapiro and senior advisor Huma Abedin. 
on the 14th, along with Chris Stevens, then serving as the embassy's deputy chief of mission in Libya, Clinton met with Mustafa Jibril, a senior member of the TNC. The next day, Clinton met with Egypt's transitional leader, Nabil el-Arabi in Cairo, and walked through Tahrir Square with Abedin. At the same time, government documents showed that Turi's proposal, a $267 million contract, was working its way through official channels. My application was submitted on the 12th. These brokers uh, then, through their relationship with the TNC, then provided that application information to uh, Ms. Clinton uh, via the TNC Council when she was in Cairo. That's what was told to me and an email. Turi also showed Fox emails from April 6th and 7th, 2011, that he exchanged with Chris Stevens' personal email account, alerting him to his application to sell weapons. Stevens replied with a thank you, and I'll keep it in mind and share it with my colleagues in Washington. He is the point guy now. Coming up, what does this recently released email from Secretary Clinton tell us about her secret strategy to arm the rebels in Libya? Now, what was really amazing about the whole thing was we sent him over there for other reasons on the surface, but it was really this gun running campaign. We had no boots on the ground, only CIA contractors monitoring the situation there. Christopher Stevens showing up to set up a makeshift embassy in virtually a non-secure facility. Watch the 13 hours movie. It's pretty, pretty close to the actual original story that I've read in full detail by some of the witness accounts. WikiLeaks blew the lid off of it and started connecting the dots. Hillary Clinton was neck deep in illegal arms dealings to our enemies, a fast and furious on international scale. John McCain and Hillary Clinton were scapegoating Kurt Turi to cover their tracks. In early April 2011, arms dealer Mark Turi was exchanging emails with Chris Stevens. On April 8, 2011, this heavily redacted email recently released to the Benghazi Committee shows Secretary Clinton was interested in arming the rebels using contractors. FYI, the idea of using private security experts to arm the opposition should be considered, she wrote. The following month, Turi received this preliminary approval letter from the State Department for his $267 million arms proposal for Qatar. In July, his Arizona home was raided by federal agents. They came in with full body armor and, you know, weapons, and um, they take my computers and my cell phones, and they've been chasing me all over the world for the past three years, uh, speaking to associates of mine all over the United States and looking into my records and my past. Now Turi is facing trial set for this September on two counts that he allegedly violated the Arms Export Control Act by making false statements. Christopher Stevens became the official U.S. liaison to the Libyan opposition. He first entered Baghdad on April 5th, 2011, joined by the U.S. aid team, who is neck deep in U.S. aid to this day. The Clinton Foundation, of course. In the 13-hour standoff in Benghazi, multiple stand-down orders from Clinton were given. A response team changing in and out of uniforms happened multiple times. U.S. Secretary Officer Eric Nordstrom twice requested additional security for the mission in Benghazi from the State Department. Requests were denied. State Department official Charlene Lamb said she wanted to keep the security presence in Benghazi artificially low to not draw attention to why they were there in the first place. Surplus funds originally earmarked for the use in Iran were redirected and obligated for use in Benghazi to buy stingers. U.S. Army commando units were sent from Naval Air Station Sigonella in Sicily, Italy, the night of the attack, but did not deploy to Afghanistan. So we know that that all kept getting knocked down. At the time, the Pentagon was informed that it was a terrorist attack. By 4.30 p.m., Pentagon officials had informed Leon Panetta about the attack. The Pentagon ordered a drone that was in the air conducting surveillance on the militant camps as they flew over Benghazi, and uh, they basically allowed Leon Panetta an out. His attorney, Jean-Jacques Cabou, told Fox in emails that his client had a track record working for the U.S. government through the Central Intelligence Agency, and the government's case is an epic fishing expedition, and his client neither lied on any application nor did he do anything other than support U.S. foreign policy and interests in the Middle East. In his youth, Turi made some mistakes, and Fox confirmed he served time in an Arizona jail. 
Nonetheless, since the 1990s, Turi's company met the strict State Department criteria to sell and move weapons around the world in support of U.S. operations. Turi insists he never shipped any weapons to Qatar, and others stole the zero-footprint idea. Why isn't the State Department contacting me about making a mistake on my application? The State Department had a lead on this. They were going to run it with their people. And who that is, I have no idea. I sat back and watched this unravel, and it, it went south really quick. Turi says he heard disturbing reports from his contacts on the ground in Libya about weapons arriving from Qatar and falling into the wrong hands. So after the 13-hour standoff, why did it take 23 days to allow FBI investigators to gather forensics? What were they hiding at the State Department? Where were the official communications, the emails, better yet, where were the stingers in the balance of the weapons that were on the inventory. Knowing their cover was blown, the State Department went after Mark Turi, pointing fingers at him, trying to frame him for supplying Taliban with weapons illegally. But WikiLeaks emails revealed the communications were Hillary Clinton seeking small 10-container unmarked vessels to move the sea cans. When this equipment landed in, the, in, in Libya, half went one way and the half went the other way. The half that went the other way is the half that ended up in Syria. This Defense Intelligence Agency report, recently obtained by a Judicial Watch lawsuit, provides further confirmation weapons were flowing unchecked in the weeks leading up to the 2012 attack. Quote, weapons from the former Libya military stockpiles were shipped from the port of Benghazi, Libya, to the port of Benias and the port of Borj Islam, Syria. Fox News has reported extensively about the shipment of weapons, including man pads aboard the Libyan ship Al Antasar to Turkey five days before the Benghazi assault. There were uh, 1,651 emails in this sort of co uh, connection from Clinton to Al Qaeda and ISIS in both Libya and Syria, demonstrating Clinton supplied weapons to ISIS via Syria. Documents made public by Judicial Watch and WikiLeaks back up. Turkish uh, President Erdogan's assertion that the U.S.-led coalition forces have given support to terror groups, including ISIS and Syria. When Clinton called before Congress, she basically lied to Rand Paul and everybody else. We have new information as of last week now. And in his first television interview since the story broke on Fox Files, Republican Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky is here this morning, also running for president. Senator, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, we remember that day well. You asked about Turkey. She said she did not know. You asked about other countries, any countries, and then referred your question to the agency, which we assumed at the time was the CIA. What are we led to believe now, do you think, Senator? I find it very hard to believe that Hillary Clinton didn't know. In fact, she was the biggest cheerleader for sending these arms and redistributing these arms into Syrian rebels. And the reason why this is an important issue, many of the people who receive these arms are not friends of America. Many of them are linked to al-Qaeda, al-Nusra, and some of these weapons may well, may well have wound up in the hands of people who became ISIS. So this is no small fact. Whether she not she told the truth is a big deal, and some of the emails coming out of ben about Benghazi indicate that maybe she did know a lot more about this arms trade than she let on. And I don't think our, our public officials should be allowed to come before congressional committees and lie. But it's also concerning because the big problem we face now with ISIS, did it have anything to do with Hillary Clinton arming people who either became ISIS or who were friends or allies of ISIS? Uh, you dropped the L word. Was she lying, Senator? Is that what you're saying? I think there's a very good chance because I think there's no way that Hillary Clinton did not know about this, her private email, so that she was the one supporting arming these people. And the other thing is, is that I think some of these arms were going through Qatar. And a lot of news reports are saying that Qatar was very indiscriminate in the way they distributed these arms. But there were actually weapons that have shown up in Afghanistan that were U.S. weapons used against us that came through Qatar. So I think we have to be very careful. And when we select a commander in chief, do we want a commander in chief who is so sloppy about who they give arms to that we're now at war again with ISIS? that is using, they have a billion dollars of our Humvees, for goodness sakes, but really the question needs to be asked of Republicans and Democrats, was it a good idea to give people arms who were fighting alongside I ISIS? I understand the case you're making. A Defense Department document from the Defense Intelligence Agency, the DIA, dated September 12, 2012, the day after the Benghazi attack, details the attack on the compound 
had been carefully planned by Bokar Terrorist Group, quote, to kill as many Americans as possible. Who was the director of intelligence from the DIA at the time Benghazi went down? Who was warning Clinton and the State Department and Leon Panetta that an attack was planned? Michael Flynn! Now you know why they're desperate to get to go after him like they've been. The document was sent to uh, Hillary Clinton and Leon Panetta, who was the defense secretary at the time. And uh, it's the reason why Obama had to get rid of Flynn. Obama also warned Donald Trump not to hire Flynn. The reason being Flynn knew all the dirty secrets of all the illegal arms dealings the Obama administration was doing in the Middle East. This is what then Secretary Clinton told Senator Rand Paul in her only testimony to date. Now, my question is, is the U.S. involved with any uh, procuring of weapons, transfer of weapons, buying, selling, anyhow, transferring weapons to Turkey out of Libya? To Turkey? I, I will have to take that question for the record. That's, I, nobody's ever raised that with me. I, it's, I been don't. A, it's been in news reports that ships have been leaving from Libya and that they may have weapons. And what I'd like to know is the annex that was close by, were they involved with procuring, buying, selling, obtaining weapons? And were any of these weapons being transferred to other countries, any countries, Turkey included? Well, Senator, you'll have to direct, direct that question to uh, the agency that uh, ran the annex. And I will, I will see what information is available. And uh, You're saying you don't know. I do not know. I don't have any information on that. Two weeks after that testimony, this State Department letter was sent to Senator Paul. It skirted his question, stating the U.S. government is not involved in any transfer of weapons from Libya to Turkey. Now, Mark Turi had been indicted by federal prosecutors in Phoenix for supplying arms to the Libyan rebels during the 2010 and 2011 war. The Obama administration dropped the case eh, just right before he left office. Mark Turi's testified his arms shipments destined for Libyan rebels and channeled through Qatar and the UAE were part of a U U.S. authorized effort. Turi said that was um, something the Obama administration was complicit in in the shipment of weapons from Libya to the rebels in Syria who were fighting the Assad regime. The DOJ was forced to drop the Turi prosecution because federal prosecutors were convinced his defense would, would expose Clinton's secret arms running to the radical Al-Qaeda affiliate militia, uh, militia in Libya of 2011. So people need to understand this goes on more than they realize. Taxpayer-funded weapons sold to enemies. The, where do those funds end up? They don't go back to the general fund. It goes to the pockets of the politicians like McCain, Clinton, and Gr Lindsey Graham because they're hawkish for the money. You know, when this comes out as a result of the work that we're, that we're doing, the fury ought to be amongst the 95% of Congress who were not informed of this, who did not have a say in it, even though the Constitution says only Congress can declare war. Mrs. Clinton effectively ran a secret State Department within the State Department. Many of the rebels Clinton armed using weapons lawfully sold to Qatar by Mark Turi and others were terrorist groups who were sworn enemies of the United States and they were enabling them and costing American lives and endangering thousands. All right, the Obama administration is moving now to drop all charges against an arms dealer who threatened to expose a plan by then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton to arm anti-Qaddafi rebels in Libya back in 2011. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge live in Washington with that. Catherine? Well, thank you, John. Working with senior executive producer Pamela Brown, we secured the only TV interview with arms dealer Mark Turi. And based on the interview court documents and emails from Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill, Turi makes a compelling case the Obama administration authorized a covert weapons program to arm the Libyan rebels in 2011 that spun out of control. This clip from the investigation first aired on the Fox Business Network. And this would come under uh, Secretary Clinton's watch. This sworn affidavit released in May 2015 and obtained by Fox News indicates a covert weapons operation was authorized. Turi's partner and advisor was this man, David Manners. During his 18-year career at the CIA, he served as the top spy in Jordan and in the former Czechoslovakia. Manners stated in his expert opinion, the United States did participate directly or indirectly in the supply of weapons to the Libyan Transitional National Council. That's where I came up with this zero footprint Arab Arab uh, uh, supply chain. 
And based on this new court filing, the Justice Department has now moved to dismiss the charges against Turi in part because a trial that would happen around the election in November would publicly expose evidence about the administration's strategy to arm the Libyan opposition. The government motion reads in part in light of the court's discovery rulings, the administrative resolution between DDTC, that's a branch of the State Department that licenses weapons for sale, and the defendant and other factors, the government seeks leave of the court to dismiss the criminal matter. This case will now be resolved through a civil settlement which avoids litigation over Clinton's term as Secretary of State as well as her emails. Turi told Fox as part of that investigation that he believes half of the weapons ended up in Libya and the other half went to Syrian groups who are not friendly to the United States, John. Catherine Herridge, mm -hmm. keeping an eye on that very interesting story. Thanks, Catherine. Yeah. Here's an interesting coincidence. Mark Turi, his attorneys, multiple attorneys, are from Perkins Coie. Who is Perkins Coie? That was that law firm that, you know, organizing for America, Obama's nonprofit organization, uh, had finances handled by. And Hillary Clinton's campaign used Perkins Coie to pay Fusion GPS, who made the dossier the fake dossier and the Russian collusion story to get FISA warrants to spy on a private citizen running for public office like Donald Trump because they were afraid of what he was coming into. Maybe it's because they knew that if Donald Trump came into power, he would find, you know, this entire boondoggle of weapons being run through Libya to Syria. Maybe it's because they were afraid that Michael Flynn knew all of this stuff, and that's why Obama went to Flynn and said, hey, or went to Trump and said, hey, don't hire Flynn. Maybe it's why they spent the entire energy of the DOJ and the FBI destroying Michael Flynn, saying, oh, well, you know, he lied to us, and so we're going to make him bankrupt. I mean, Brennan, John Brennan went over to take a look at what was happening over in Benghazi, and Mueller handled a lot of the case behind the scenes on Benghazi. So a lot of these same figures all seem to have roads that go back to Hillary Clinton. It's, almost, it's a small world. It's like, hey, you know, they go to a party. Hey, it's Al Baghdadi. What's up, Al? Hey, Al, this is my friend. Oh, you know her? It's Hillary Clinton. Small world. All roads lead back to the Clintons and the Clinton Foundation. So there's more to this story that's even bigger I want to get into, especially, you know, on a, new, on a further show down the road. Um, Operation, uh, what is it? Operation Timber Sycamore, where we armed Syrian rebels way before the Syrian civil war even started. But obviously this was a gun running campaign that the Clintons knew about. Mike Flynn knew about it. And that is why they have targeted Mike Flynn. That is why they've spent all their energy looking to discredit him, bankrupt him. And they used it for this Russian collusion case that Mueller who was involved with this whole thing in Benghazi, and Brennan, who was involved with it as well, were all complicit in. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can listen to us on Mojo 5.0 every Saturday at 5 p.m., every Sunday, 6 a.m., and then again at 5 p.m. Check out Mojo 5.0 on the iHeartRadio app or at mojo50.com. You can also check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, Overcast, Podbean, wherever podcasts are hosted, you can find The Adrian Slade Show. You can also check out The Adrian Slade Show Roku channel in your streaming store. Download it. Check out the blog, adriansladeshow.com. You can also support the show. Subscribe, $2 a month or whatever amount you wish, patreon.com slash Show, or get on over to anchor.fm slash Slade and donate $4.99 a month. We'll see you guys next time.